this morning, I want to talk about something that um, it seems pretty elementary, but isn't always. The message today, in fact, it seems, it seems so elementary that perhaps on the surface maybe it doesn't even seem challenging, but, but I think that maybe it's something we need to be challenged by. I, oftentimes on Sunday we, we're trying to unlock the challenge of God's Word. But this one is so big and yet seems so obvious, sometimes we might just pass it by. I guess what I'm trying to say is I think that sometimes there are things that that are so elementary and yet sometimes we need to be reminded of the basics of what it means to be called children of God. So let's look together at Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I'd invite you to stand I'm on um, I'm on jury duty uh, this month, and um, in fact, I got to be there tomorrow morning at eight o'clock uh, to start again. And one of the things I've noticed, I've learned a couple things. The first thing that I've learned is don't be late. That's a whole other story. Um, but you shouldn't be late for jury duty. I was. I'll tell you that story some other time. Second thing I've learned is every time the judge comes in, and they don't mess around with this. They're really serious about this. You need to stand up when the judge comes in. It's a recognition that someone of authority, we are recognizing the authority of the judge. And and when we read God's word and we stand, that's exactly the same reason. We are recognizing the authority of God's word spoken to us. So let's read Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting at verse 9. Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica. It says, Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order to not be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel to you. You are witness, and so is God, of how holy, righteousness, and blameless we were among you who believe. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because you have received the word of God which you heard from us. You accepted it, not as human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. You can be seated. You ever notice that men and women approach humor differently? You ever notice that? Men's humor is more competitive and therefore it tends at times to even be sarcastic. Women's humor is usually more supportive. So, for example, I was uh, using that remote uh, on the TV. You know, my wife's out of town, so I've been able to use the remote for something other than the Olympics um, the last couple of days. And uh, I was scrolling through, and you know those, you know, you got all those channels that you've never seen before? I didn't even know we had those many channels. And and one of the things I ran across, maybe some of you remember it, it's, it's an old show. It's, I don't remember it, but I remember hearing about it. The Dean Martin Roasting Show, Roasting Hour, where Dean Martin would have these guests that would come on and celebrities would be there and they would tell stories and make jokes about them. And, and so well, I thought, well, this kind of sounds interesting. And, and so the, they're roasting George Burns, the great comedian, and his wife, Gracie Allen. And, and these are his friends. Now, it gives you an idea of how men treat humor. This is what his friends had to say about him. Here's a couple of them. Walter Matthau says, I did the Sunshine Boys with George, and everything I know about acting, I learned 
from someone else. Milton Burrow said, I've got this to say about my old friend George. He looks the same as he did 40 years ago. Old. Can you imagine a woman making a joke like that? At least not in public. Can you imagine a woman MC standing up and saying, Oh, there's my dear friend. She looks as good as she did 40 years ago. Old. I mean, generally when women make remarks like that, it's not meant as a joke. At least from my observation. Now, now we live in a world today where we understand that the men are from Mars and some planet somewhere. I heard about it. I read it. I don't know what it is. But, but we know there are differences among us. And so when I talk about this, it really... I know I'm talking in generalities, but but men tend to be far more competitive in their communication. Women tend to be more relational. We see that when we come to church. I mean, one woman will say to another, oh, that's a beautiful new dress. Is that new? And Oh, you changed your hair. That looks great. I mean, you really look great today. Do you hear that with men? I mean, you don't hear us walking in and saying to each other, wow, Pastor Mike, you look so handsome today. That shirt really fits your eyes. That's wonderful. Or, or John, that shirt you have on, you look so buff in that shirt, you know. We, you don't really hear that uh, from us, but, but even us guys, even us guys need encouragement. For there is probably no one here who would be offended when someone gives them a genuine compliment. So I'm a, I'm a father of three kids, and um, I just want to take note, or, uh, well, two of them are here, okay, I'll be careful what I say. So I'm a father of three kids, and, and I'm... I'm learning. I think I'm better than when I started. I think you get better maybe just as there's time for them to leave, maybe. And uh, one of the things I have discovered, and I don't think it's just, I'm not picking on my kids, because I don't think it's just my kids, but there seems to be a genetic component in it that that they struggle with understanding uh, the word no. I don't think that's just my kids, but but I, I, now I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid, let me just, let me just, I'm not picking on you guys, right? I mean, you're getting better at it too. But one of the things that I'm one of the things that I'm discovering is, while I'm not afraid to say no, I want you to hear that you too. Not afraid to say no. I am discovering that when I look at at the things they're doing well, and I talk about the things they're doing well, and I applaud the things they're doing well, they tend to do them again. I'm trying to be better at that, and and, and looking and saying what what are the things that who are we trying to shape? What are we trying to do? What are we trying to encourage? And to say good job a lot more. And that's true of everyone. Great philosopher Samuel Johnson once said, the applause of a single human is of great consequence. And that's true. Even one of our greatest presidents, Abraham Lincoln, needed a tangible encouragement to sometimes spur on his his sagging confidence. When Lincoln was tragically killed, they emptied the contents of his pocket. And in his pocket, there were... uh, Four different items. The first was an embroidered handkerchief. The next was a pocket watch. The third was Confederate money. That's interesting to me. But the fourth, even more interesting, was a newspaper article. A crumpled up old newspaper article from the beginning and and the mid part of the war where difficult, difficult decisions had to be made by the president. And in this news article, the, the reporter praises the president for having the courage to take a stand and praises the president for making the right choices. And he carried that with him in his pocket to remind him of it, to be encouraged. 
I don't think Abraham Lincoln is different than any of the rest of us. He needed to be appreciated. He needed to be cherished once in a while to be applauded by those who observed him. We all need that from time to time. We need to be affirmed. We need people to come along and say, I believe in you and the work that you're doing. Paul, the apostle, was an encourager. Paul writes all of these little books at the end of the New Testament. He's writing all these to churches that have been planted, these church plants full of new believers who are following after Jesus, who are, who are trying to figure out what does it mean to follow after Jesus? What does it mean to, to live a Christ-like life? What does it mean to be a church? And, and Paul is writing these churches and trying to hone them and, and shape them and move them in, in ways that reflect Christ. Paul is an encourager. He would applaud those who need to be applauded. He affirmed those who needed to be affirmed. He continually expressed appreciation for the people of the church, whether it was in Philippi or Thessalonica or any of the other places that he wrote. In today's lesson, we, we already read, he says, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you to his kingdom and glory. If Paul is in the midst of trying to write what it means to live a Christ-like life, I, I want to hear not just what he says, I want to see how he says it. He was an encourager. You and I know, and you don't need me to tell you, the world already has enough critics. We need people who will affirm and come alongside and in love be an encouragement to each other. There's a department store in Japan that is experimenting with aromatherapy. They are pumping unpleasant smells into their complaint department. Their idea is that if they can fill the complaint department with stinky smells, maybe people won't come to the complaint department anymore. I don't think that's such a bad idea. I think they're onto something there. We have too many complainers. And actually, they probably don't need to pump anything in because criticism often gives off its own unpleasant aroma. Whether that's in our homes or offices or government or any place we are tempted to fill the air with negative thoughts. What we really need, what we really need are people who will fill the air with the aroma of encouragement. I think that's one of the reasons that God gave us grandparents. Every parent knows, at least intellectually, um, that it's important to give their kids encouragement. Experts tell us that for every word of criticism that a child hears, they need ten out of boys or ten out of girls. But parents are human, and sometimes our own emotions bubble over. It's helpful in situations like that to have family members, to have aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas who, who live out unconditional love. And, and in the church, we understand that grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles aren't always the people that we're related to. But they become part of the church family that grows and lives together. Richard is a, a professor who wrote a story about receiving from his grandparents one Christmas a, one of those old movie projectors along with two cartoon reels. And, and his grandpa sat down with him and, and had to take the film and you know he had to roll it around the sprocket and roll it around the stuff and roll it on the thing. You have to be like my age or older to remember doing that in school. And, and grandpa uh, did it for him the first time and, and now it was Richard's turn. So Richard took out the film and he, he rolled it around the sprocket and he rolled it up and down and through the machine and around the... And he did it perfectly. And his grandfather said to him, you have got to be the smartest grandson in the world. Years later, Richard asked his grandfather if he remembered that story. And his grandpa didn't, but Richard did. And Richard said, 
all those years from that day on, I was convinced that I was probably bright and skillful and teachable and easy to catch on. But he said it could have gone the other way. I probably would have remembered if my grandfather had said, you are the dumbest grandson in all of the world. And it probably would have been demonstrated in the belief of my life. A simple word of encouragement. In one moment of time, Richard remembered his entire life. Writer Ben Burton writes about a family member. He doesn't want to give his name, so he calls him Blank. Blank is his name. Blank was the kid who who didn't fit in. Blank always was in trouble. Nobody thought Blank would ever amount to anything. Blank Blank was just one of those kids, when you saw him coming, you just went the other way. But his grandfather took him fishing one day, and Blank made the most impressive catch. His grandfather told him, I think you're the best young fisherman I've ever seen. And Blank said that changed his life. He fished constantly now. He began winning tournaments and great acclaim. His grades came up. His attitude changed. He was more sociable. He graduated from high school. He graduated from college. He graduated from law school. He married a young lady. He raised a family. He fought in World War II. He was decorated for bravery. And it was because of his grandfather's encouragement at one moment in his, time, in his life that he looks back and says, changed his life. I think the author, even though he calls him blank, writes about himself. I heard the story that took place in one of our Upward Games this weekend. The story of, of, uh, of a girl who had been struggling, who, uh, who had struggled not just to have the ball, but just to be on the court. And, and a team, and another team, both teams, who stepped aside and encouraged her so that she might make her first basket. And a crowd that went crazy, and teams that understood why they were there in the first place. I think that's an awesome picture of the church. If we had time today, I'd invite you to tell stories. I'd invite you to tell stories for my guess is that you have a grandmother or a grandfather or an aunt or an uncle or someone in the church who in some way in your life has influenced you and has given you unconditional love. I'd like to think that all parents are supportive, but sometimes Sometimes it doesn't happen. Sometimes God needs to bring other people in our lives, other family members, other, other people within the church to bring encouragement to young people and to others. You notice how Paul uses the language of a parent. He says, For you know that we dealt with each of you as fathers deal with their children, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God. Paul knew that everyone needs encouragement regardless of age or regardless of the situation in life. I think that that's one of the reasons God created the church. You ever thought about the church as the center of encouragement? Now, some of you grew up in churches that were more, looked more like condemnation, sinners in the hands of an angry God kind of place. But I want to tell you there's a reason that we call the, the gospel the good news. The good news is God loves you. And He is rooting for you. And He longs for you to be everything that He has created you to be and for his children to discover that the abundant life is really their spiritual heritage it is your birthright because of the gift of Jesus Christ the gospel is good news and I think that's why God created the church to be a light in the dark world to send out love into a world of hate and hope into a world of despair and kindness into a world of cruelty 
That's who we are. That's who we're called to be. That's who we ought to be. And I know that some churches, some churches have been known for the foul smell of their criticism and negativism that has permeated the air. But too often we have let a few bad examples get all the best press. It's like the farmer who went to the restaurant owner and said, hey, have you got a market for, I've got a million sets of frog legs. Would you be interested in buying them? And the restaurant owner says, where are you going to get a million sets of frog legs? He says, the farmer says, well, I've got, got a pond outside my, my uh, house there, and uh, they drive me crazy. They keep me up all night. You can't believe how loud they are. He says, I just need to get rid of them. Well, the restaurant owner says, I'll take, I'll, I'll take 200 pairs. So a week goes by, and, and uh, the farmer comes back after a week, and he's holding two pair. And the restaurant owner says, no, I, I ordered 200 pair. And the farmer, all dejected, lowers his face and says, oh, I was wrong. I was wrong. There were just these two. They're just really, really noisy. In most churches, in most groups of people, you will find only a few people that are really critical. I'm so thankful, really am thankful, that we don't deal with a lot of frog leg issues in our church. Either that or we just eat them when we hear about them. I don't know. Honestly, our, our church does a great job of giving encouragement and support. I've been blessed uh, since... Uh, my grandma died Friday, and I've been blessed since then over the last couple of days. Many of you who've sent emails and just words of encouragement and words of prayer. And, and, and I hear that from people all the time. I hear that from people all the time and how you reach out and, and send a note or send a meal or just come up and love somebody or, or say a kind word or, or speak well to their kids. And proud of the culture of encouragement in our church. But what if we didn't settle for that? What if, what if we did better? What if we sought out with, with, with greater abandon people? We, we sought them out to, to appreciate them daily and to find ways to encourage them on their journey with Christ. What if during our greeting time you, you sought out people who could use a genuine kind word or you went to one who was visiting wondering if anybody cares that they're even here today? I want you to imagine what it would be like if our church became a center of encouragement in our community. If everyone began to develop a ministry of encouragement, imagine the kind of atmosphere we would begin to cultivate for our children who would grow up from this place and go out into the community and have children of their own and understand what it means. We heard two stories of two men who heard one word of encouragement and their life was changed. Imagine what would it be if we created a culture and lived that more fully in our lives. If we came alongside of people, what kind of fragrance could we be for people who are in the midst of difficult circumstances and painful experiences? Imagine what it would be like if we began to live that kind of encouragement that comes through knowing the, the love of Christ in our life. We began to live it more outside of these four walls, more outside of the, the walls of our heart. In fact, if we began to let the love of Christ just get so messy in our life, it just spilled all over anybody we came in contact with. I heard about a church who broke ground on a new 500-seat sanctuary. And um, an innovative church member wanted to make sure that everyone was going to participate in the groundbreaking. So he took the end of a shovel, cut off the handle, and he put on a 145-foot um, pipe and made a new handle so that all 300 members 
could stand there with the shovel and dig the first piece of dirt. There was a guy on the construction site, a construction worker, a couple days later, and, and he saw this odd contraption, and he asked the pastor what it was. The pastor, without missing a beat, he said, oh, we bury them deep around here. And, um, and they got a laugh out of it. But he was able to tell them that, that really what it re- represented was, was all of the people. If this was going to be, it was going to take all of the people working together. And if our church is to be known as a center of encouragement in our community, if we're to be known as a place that opens up our arms wide for people wherever they are in the journey of life, whether they're beginning the journey with Christ or they've been on the journey all of their life, whether in the valley or whether they're on the mountain, if we're going to be known as a place that walks alongside of people and, and, and sharpens them and encourages them in their journey, it will take all of us grabbing on, all of us creating a culture of what the church ought to be. Why? I think that's what the cross calls us to. I think that's what the cross is all about. We talked a couple weeks ago about the cross, this, this instrument of death that has become this instrument of hope. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believeth in Him should not perish and have everlasting life. Everlasting life is not something that begins out there someday, somewhere. Everlasting life begins today. How much more encouragement do we need than that? God loves us. He loves you. And He's granted you the opportunity for life everlasting. So what then is our task? To continue God's ministry of encouragement. To spread the encouragement to people that we meet. Parents, it's your divine appointment, your divine task to encourage your children no matter what age they are. It's the task of moms and dads and grandpas and grandmas and aunts and uncles and friends and neighbors. It's the task of the church to come alongside and encourage people in the journey. Part of our task is to open up our own journey and let people come alongside of us. To to live in a way that, that becomes a little transparent so that people can come and can stand with you and can know you and love you and journey with you to encourage our church leadership, our church board, our worship team, the the people who work with our our children and our youth, and the list goes on and on and on. That we would have a place that lives out the encouragement outside of these walls to those we come into contact with. You see, real, real hope doesn't come from a change in political leaders. It comes from a change of heart. Paul says the reason that the Thessalonians accepted that this was God's Word is because they actually saw it lived out in others. They saw it lived out in Paul and others. I think it's worth repeating. The reason they believed in the Word of God is because they saw it lived out in the lives of other people. What if you actually really decided to live out the optimism of grace in your life, in your relationships, in your conversations? What kind of impact would you have Two guys that we talked about today, were, their lives were changed by one comment. What kind of impact could you have this week, this year? You could change somebody's life by how you come alongside of them and love them and encourage them in the journey of Christ. So a couple times this month, I've invited you to come forward. There's been the, the big orange bucket on the altar, and it's been full of rocks. It's not there today, but a couple times this month, I've invited you to come come forward and to take, take a rock as a, as a task, as a reminder of a task that, that I would encourage you, assign you to, to try to 
to live. It's a reminder that God's kingdom is built one rock, one relationship, one act, one person at a time. So there are no rocks here this morning because I didn't think you'd have pockets big enough for them because I'm encouraging you not to one act this week. I'm encouraging you to 14. 14 acts. What if for the next seven days you made a choice intentionally? I'm intentionally going to choose two people a day for the next week to come alongside of them, to speak love into their life, to encourage them, to, to in the midst of wherever they are, to just to be a person who supports them, intentionally choosing two people over the next seven days. What kind of difference? <laughs> you think about the difference it makes in others. What kind of difference would it make in us? See, my encouragement to do so is not just that you do the seven days and then you give up. My hope would not be that, but you've got to start somewhere. What if we intentionally began to live that out two people a day? How do we reach out and encourage people in their journey? And maybe the, the, the task for the week would turn into a habit. And maybe the habit would turn into our personality. And maybe the collective personalities would turn into the character of our church. What if we really... What if others really began to understand the good news of the gospel because they watched how we lived? Who might it be? Who might it be that you might make a difference in and, and, and be the hands and feet of God? God who wants to bring a word of encouragement to somebody, somebody who's walking in a place that what, might be a deep place or maybe they just need an attaboy or maybe they need to be encouraged in their faith. The list goes on and on. Could God use you? I think it's pretty exciting. How could God use you? If you'd say the next seven days, I'm going to be intentional about two people a day, 14 times. I hope it turns into more. 14 times. I want to come alongside and love people the way Jesus loves people. Father, as we've read your word today and we've worshipped, it's been, it is always good to be in your presence, but, but today especially, to be challenged by by the memories of others who have spoken into our lives, who have loved us and encouraged us and, and, and spoken good words to us, to be encouraged then to be people who live that out in our own faith, to intentionally speak love and grace, the optimism of your grace, into other people's lives, to intentionally come alongside and offer support, to intentionally find ways to love. God, we want to be a people that look different because we are yours. We want to be a people that is so obvious that we're followers of yours that it just gets messy all over everybody else as well. We want to be a people who keep our eyes fixed on you. So would you bring people into to our mind? Could we commit together as a church to be a people who speak love and encouragement in other people's lives? There are so many places that are, di that are difficult. There are so many places we could complain. There are so many places that aren't right. But Lord, can our concentration be on the places that are right? Could we keep our eyes on you and speak love? May we be your hands and feet. I pray your blessing on these folks. For if we take this seriously, we could build pieces of your kingdom this week. One person, one rock, one act at a time. May you bring blessing and may our lives reflect you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Be encouraged.
fight the good fight, stay the course, and live out the hope that is within you. Lord bless you as you go. But